Hello, and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I am Callum. And I'm James, and you should kill us all on sight. Is that okay? <laughs> it's pretty aggressive, but yeah. And every fortnight and or month here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. And today, it's hold on to your feathers because things are going to get very wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey with the opening two-parter of Season 6, The Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. As always, just a quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Two Hearts Pod. That's to the number two. Or you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's to the word two. To have your thoughts and feelings shared on the show callum happy 2023 welcome to a new year thank you james welcome to a new year to you too um what's going on in your life well so much so much is happening no i mean pretty much the same things that are happening i think the last time we talked when we did the trailer reaction but like um you know callum's moving to sydney i'm attempting to move to sydney um that's about it not much else has really changed for us i don't think no, not particularly. Um, uh, that moving date is like pretty soon. I'm moving on on this coming Friday. We're recording on a Tuesday here. Um, I'm moving on this coming Friday, and it's too soon. It's all too soon. Um, but I am excited to start my new job. I'm excited for James to come over eventually. Um, yes, and hire me someone in Sydney. Yeah, please get James a job. He 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 needs to come. He needs to be there already. <laughs> Not that I'm unemployed. I, I realized how that sounded on the ear, but <laughs> I have a job now. I would just like a different job in Sydney. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, we are, we're two boys. Hey, we're two boys recording the first of our episodes for 2023. Um, first of many, we hope. Um, and like, we're so organic about it. Um, you know, this is really flowing really well. We're off to a great start. Um, I will say just as a fun bit of trivia for anyone listening along at home. Um, the other night, Callum and I sort of sat down and did a sort of like a plan for what the next, you know, oh. I think up to episode 100-ish would look like for our podcast, basically. And we figured out, one, it's going to take a fair bit of time. But two, assuming... A lot of different factors, which will never happen. So this isn't going to happen. But if we were to stick to the correct timeline, episode 100 of our podcast would have been hellbent. And that is exceptional. Like, that is just phenomenal for James. But... It's not going to happen. It unfortunately won't happen because eventually we'll... (laughs) <laughs> fall back and uh we've got a new series of doctor who coming we've got the specials in november this year um that will just throw everything out the other we could we could actually just fuck the numbering up ourselves to make it happen you know we run this show times we do, we do. But, like, the reason why I had such a reaction to that moment is because, like, it was going to organically fall that way. Because if it happens organically, like, that's beautiful. If we have to force it, it's not as fun. Um, but, look, we will see. There's obviously going to be a fair bit of Doctor Who to talk about over the next... I think it's, like, year and a half we basically figured out is what we would need to get up to Hellbent in a reasonable time. Um, yeah. And within that year and a half, we're going to get so much new Matt Smith content, hopefully some shooty Gatwell content. So it, it's going to be... 
like, this is a very exciting year, I think, to be doing a Doctor Who podcast. I think we're in a good place with our recap. We're coming up on a very interesting series here with Series 6. Mm. And um, the future of the show is arguably the biggest it's been for a while. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I guess, like, just generally, it's an exciting time to be doing this. It is an exciting time to be doing this. And... It's also quite, uh, it's nice that we don't actually have any news to talk about this time because there's going to be so much news to talk about, I'm sure, in the coming months. Exactly right. I will say three hours ago, uh, startefacts.com has posted the headline, if you hate Doctor Who's Matt Smith era, here are three reasons to reconsider. Uh, I don't know what those reasons are. I'm not going to click on that link, but um, yeah, true. You shouldn't hate Matt Smith's era. And I think we're going to have a bit of a conversation today about maybe why. Reasons one, two, and three should be Jenna Louise Coleman. Well, um, oh gosh. Oh, oh, I can't talk about Clara yet. I'll get too excited. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we are here to talk. We're we're jumping the gun because we're here to talk about another um, impossible girl. Uh, (laughs) Moffat does love his impossibles. (laughs) There's an impossible astronaut. Uh, There's an impossible uh, river song. And uh, oh, this is such, this this joke has no legs, so I'm just going to stop it. No, um, none at all, none at all. You are peddling for dear life. So I think that's probably the best possible place for us to transition into our conversation about the impossible astronaut and day of the moon. You have to do this, and you can't ask why. My life in your hands. Help me! What the hell is that? You just saw one of the creatures we're fighting. Describe it to me. I can't. No, neither can I. The Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon are episodes one and two, respectively, of series six of the Doctor Who revival. They are written by showrunner Stephen Moffat and directed by friend of the show and Andor alumni Toby Haynes. Uh, Callum, this is a lot of plot for me to condense into 60 seconds-ish, so uh, let's give it a shot. Oh, <laughs> uh, do we? did we say there was a rule about 90? 90... Yeah, I want to say 90 seconds for a two-parter feels appropriate. Yeah, okay, especially for this one. Um, yes. Ooh. All right. You got 90 seconds on the clock. I'll count you in. Good luck. Okay. Thanks. Three, two, one. All right. Amy and Rory and River are summoned to uh, Utah in present day to have a picnic with the doctor. While at the picnic, a astronaut uh, like NASA suit from, I don't know, whatever timeline uh, emerges from the lake and kills the doctor and then kills him again mid-regeneration. Uh, so they everyone thinks the doctor's dead and then they go back to a diner to talk about it. And then the doctor emerges from a previous point in his timeline where he was also invited to this picnic. Uh, this sets off a mystery where the TARDIS takes them to 1969 because of the moon landing and the astronaut suit. I think there's some sort of like connection there. Uh, there they meet President Nixon and his uh, CIA agent Canton, the gay man. Um, they do a bit of investigation. They find out that uh, America is actually occupied by an alien force called the Silence. Uh, you can't remember them if you're not immediately seeing them. And they plant uh, ideas in your head for things to do when you stop seeing them. Um we do a bit of investigating. Uh, Amy's possibly pregnant. Uh, River and things happen. Oh, God, I'm failing here. 30 um, seconds. And then uh, basically some stuff happens. We uh, jump forward into the future. Um, They try to stop the silence. They eventually do stop the silence by recording a message and broadcasting it during the moon landing. Uh, But in the meantime, though, we're still trying to figure out what's going on with this little girl trapped in an astronaut suit that's trying to kill the doctor. 
Um, and Amy still might be pregnant. We don't really know because the TARDIS can't decide. Uh, River is now really sad because the Doctor's forgetting her. Three, and two, um, Amy one. also saw a woman in a wall. What's that about? <laughs> I feel so happy right now. I don't know why. I don't know <laughs> what it is about that that made me feel really happy. Um, <laughs> it was certainly chaotic. <laughs> it's because like... I don't know how to succinctly describe part two. Part one is very easy. Um, part two, I, I get a bit wishy-washy on. <laughs> Did you say they went to the future? Uh, the future? <laughs> you said they went to the future to stop the silence, which didn't happen. I don't think I said that. You did. But we'll find out in the in post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic. Hey, do yourself a favor, people, and go watch these episodes. If you haven't. Um, yes. And I am be a- shocking if you're listening to this and you haven't seen these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but these ones in particular, and this series in particular, because I don't think yes. it should be on us to try and explain to you what happens in this series, a Doctor Who podcast. Um, well, okay, you joke, but at the same time, trying to explain what goes down in the finale or the mid-finale of this particular series is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> It is because, uh, as is has been notoriously uh, written about and um, spoken about, and all kinds of things since the since series six went out of Doctor Who, it's probably the most dense, uh, layered, um, convoluted, confusing, Messy, arc. fun, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying these words with any like with a connotation. Of yeah, exactly. Negativity. When we say messy, we don't mean it with malintent. Like it yeah. is just. It's very messy. It's the most involved arc I reckon the show has ever <laughs> attempted. Uh, even more than Flux somehow. Because... Uh, yes. Like, Flux was not a really an arc. Ooh! Uh, uh, oh, 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 we can't talk about Flux. No, we, we seriously can't keep talking about Flux. Um... Uh, yeah, so look, we've got a, a two-parter opening a season, um, which I think both of us learnt semi-recently is, uh, is this the first time this has happened since the 80s, right? Yeah, 1985 for Attack of the Cybermen, which was the first story of uh, Colin Baker's first and, well, I was going to say only series. He did two series, but this is his first, that was his only proper series as the Doctor, because Trial of the Time Lord is more of a, it's flux kind of. Uh, season. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Um, and and like it, the the fact that it is a two parter that opens the series, I think, is is a really interesting uh point to talk about because it's not something like there's only twice since then that this has been attempted. The first other being the Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar two parter, and then obviously Spyfall, which you watched recently, James. Um, well, I, I certainly watched the first half of part one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, but we can we can talk about the Spyfall comparisons later. There's there's actually a fair bit of shared DNA between um that that opening and this opening. But um yes yes it is. I think you're right. It's it's an it's the thing to talk about here because in a lot of ways it feels like the thesis statement or like the tone setter for for series six because this is arguably one of the biggest productions, right? Well, this was probably the biggest production they'd had up until this point. Uh, yeah, that that is definitely the intention. Like, Series 6 was definitely a go big or go home kind of vibe to it, um, for better or worse. Um, that was definitely 
exemplified by these two episodes because they was a a big co-production between BBC, BBC America, with the intention of filming over, uh, you know, in America to capture that audience that had been growing steadily since David Tennant, but really kind of catapulted during Matt Smith era. Um, mm. I think mm-hmm. for, I couldn't speculate. I mean, I can definitely speculate at a reason for that. You know, the immediate sort of catchiness of Matt Smith, the recognisable iconography of his outfit and, and the especially coming at a time when I feel like retro indie um, aesthetics. Hipster. Hipster, exactly. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, was um, definitely the vibe, the norm um, in vogue. And so it was kind of a perfect storm for the show to take off in a big way in America. And so, ergo, these episodes come about. Um, but opening also as a two-parter... It's, it, it is really exciting. It captures the episode... Um, hang on, let's start that thought again. Um, it captures the attention of the audience much better. Um, well, not much better, but it's a way to grab well, your audience and get them set in for the long haul. And it is a long haul. Yes, that's it. Like this, it's, it's ironic, right, that like this season opens with like a crowd pleasing big two parter that's trading on like a lot of um very like established iconography like the americana the the aliens the the greys like the that or the like the government mystery mm. um like there, there's so much going on here to like you said capture audience attention and general audience attention as well and then to turn all of that attention into what series six becomes, which is one of the, like we said, the more convoluted, timey-wimey, you know, incomprehensible, impenetrable Doctor Who series. Um, there's a fascinating tension there. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, um, but it is, it's fun. Uh, it is. It absolutely is. And I think that definitely it was intentional in a very British way. Um, <laughs> I almost feel like it's the the opposite of when, like, American shows depict uh, intentionally so American shows depict like Britain and Australia as like just the like Big Ben is within walking distance of Stonehenge is within walking distance of um, the cliffs of Dover you know like everything is like Mm -hmm. like just a tourist town the same with Australia and I love that this episode like for instance the episode opens with Amy and Rory going to America right to meet the doctor and they get a school bus into the middle of the desert, um, a big yellow school bus. Yes. And the doctor's there on a, uh, he's got a Stetson and he's on a big, you know, I don't know, a big American kind of car. Um, and it's like, all of these things wouldn't be here, but this is Doctor Who and this is Doctor Who doing Americana. And of course they would be. And then of course they go to Amer- an American diner that it's <laughs> like yeah. got Elvis and Marilyn Monroe in it. And like, um, I do love that particular like Americanness of um, of this episode and how it both revels in and rejects those uh, those aesthetics. Yes, agreed. It's also, and I've just realised this now as we're talking about it, but like it's such a um, uh, running in the opposite direction of the way that series five opened in like a quaint British town. You know, totally. Um, like we are, we're we're so 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 far over the rainbow here, um, which you know is great. Like, I, I think that uh, you and I 
you know, I think you and I have sort of diverging opinions on what is and isn't successful in this two-parter, but I think we mm. both generally, as a broad feeling, um, the the scale and the scope of what this one pulls off, um, even just aesthetically and tonally, I think is very successful for both of us, right? I would agree so, and I think that it also picked the right time to in which, because obviously it's Doctor Who, you can go anywhere in space and time, and I know that Moffat definitely, like, went through a few different iterations of the story knowing that it was starting from I'm going to do America. Um, and so there were mm-hmm. other like places in America, like, um, you know, obviously New York or Mount Rushmore, um, uh, Niagara Falls or areas that they could have done. And then I think it's yeah. important and, and good for Doctor Who that they went with area 51, Utah, you know, Monument Valley. Like those are, and 1969 mm-hmm. and NASA in particular, because like, they yeah. are the yep. kind of like pivotal uh, elements of, of America that are grandiose and that speak to, mm-hmm. you know, the power of that country in a way that maybe those other things don't yeah. do as powerfully in a story which is about power, which is about, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can see it, like like you said at the top there, with like the the choice of car that he's laying on, like Nixon being there. Um, like you're right, it's these sort of like iconography points that, correctly or incorrectly, do exemplify the kind of American exceptionalism, um, totally. kind of tone and and like the the space race and yeah, like it's 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 a very intelligent use of uh, aesthetic and cultural iconography and and locations, like you said as well. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and also it just looks a million bucks. Like it does. The money My is God. there. Exactly. I think one of the first things I noted here, so like in towards the beginning of the episode, um, the doctor and the companions are having like a, a picnic together. Um, and then the astronaut sort of appears in the lake and it's all very um, like steady cam. Like it, it's all like beautiful tracking shots and, and very put together as a visual. Um, and then once the doctor gets shot by the astronaut, um, Amy starts to run forward and it shifts into like a handy cam shake almost. And I'm sure it was done in post effect, whatever, but like just the amount of attention that is being paid to aesthetics here and aesthetics as tone here, mm. I, I think is, um, again, Toby Haynes is like a very good director. You know, I, I do think that I'm, I'm glad that this dude is here doing this one because you need someone who understands um, scope, but also how to pair that with the intimacy of what this story needs in those moments. Mm. Um, and just, you know, in that first like 10 minutes, you're already off to the races with like, even if subconsciously the audience goes, I'm watching a more expensive version of Doctor Who now. And I think that's really cool. Well, I think it's a, it would be wrong to try to, like, do America on a, a, a smaller budget. A, a twee budget, yeah. <laughs> and almost impossible because you could never go there to that country and film and, you know, um, do that cheaply. It, it is, it's an expensive venture. So, like, yeah. the same way that, you know, Pfizer Pompeii looks amazing because they went to Rome mm. and they filmed in mm-hmm. that set. Um, the the money was just it, it's just there, um, and yeah, but definitely a director like Toby Haynes is someone, you know, who can carry that off with a plum. I don't know if he did any other Doctor Who's after this one, but um, that's such a uh, shame. You know, I could definitely see them getting him back now in a post Andor world. I, I could definitely see them uh, being like, hey, do you want to come back and do a Doctor Who? Well, there, well, there was some talk I saw on Twitter about someone, an old established Doctor Who director coming back. Um, really? Uh, so just mm. keep that one in your, 
Wellity, 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 well. Well. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so looks a million bucks. America, great. Um, I would also say, like, and this is something I think we'll get into in more detail in another um, part of this episode that we want to touch on. Um, but there is this, like, cool line that it draws in how it, like, Moffat is, like, he's, like, reveling and using all of these images. He's pulling from, you know, cowboys and whatever, what have you, Mm -hmm. um, to pull together this vision of, like, 1969 America. Um, The White House, that was the other thing as well, because he's a big fan of the West Wing. And so he was like, I've got to have scenes and set in the Oval Office. That's Um, very cute. (laughs) It's really cool. Yeah, cute. Um, Mrs. Robinson, you know, referencing The Graduate, like all these things. Um, And also (laughs) has... A nice, it, it's a, it's small, but a, like a nice little snarky kind of take on America and politics as well. Like, obviously the fact, like historically Richard Nixon was the president at this time, but they don't let it, you know, go away without mentioning, you know, look out for um, <laughs> David Frost, I think his name is. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, referencing Watergate and the corruptness of that, of that figure. Um, and... There was, oh God, I should have a copy of the script open in front of me. Uh, but there is an episode, there is a line where the silence is taunting Canton. He's like, you know, you can't kill me with any weapons. And then Canton pulls out a gun and he shoots him. He's like, welcome to America. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that particular, um, sorry, you were going to say something. No, I, I, I do. I just, because you mentioned the gun thing. I'll let you finish your, your point first, because I think that the, the Americanisms and the gun stuff, I think is something we both want to talk about. And this is probably the best time to do it. Well, yeah, I was I was just going to say that this episode engages with gun violence, consciously or unconsciously. I'm not sure, but definitely it, it's there, um, and I think this is the episode in which you would do it. Um, I, I when I say unconsciously, I guess that we're referring to the the final shootout ending of this episode, um, where yes, River- but I mean it's also. I just want to say, like, it's also in the the beginning of the episode as well, where River pulls out a revolver and starts firing off into the lake. And, like, also, the, the first true. episode ends with Amy shooting a child. Like, it's... That's true. It's there. It's just... Actually, it's that's very true. Clumsy. Yeah, right? Like, it's odd, isn't it? Because... You know, and I think when they first show up in the White House, like um, the doc, like all the uh, White House guards, like pointing their guns at the doctor. I think he's like, oh, he's talking to River, who's back in the tie. He's like, it's fine. They're not going to shoot. She's like, they're American. And he immediately is like, oh, whoa, 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 actually. <laughs> and like Moffat knows what he's doing. Right. Mm. But then, like you're about to say, when we by the time we get to the finale, it does this thing that I find Doctor Who generally does, which is that, like it has this kind of like fetishization of government power and weapons, right? I think so. And it's funny, I completely forgot about the ending of The Impossible Planet. You're right, that Amy, you know, pulls out a gun and shoots a, a child. A child. <laughs> who who that child face. is, we don't know. Um, yeah, shoots her in the yeah. face. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, but I remember it was something with um, The End of Time where Russell was talking about that ending, which also has the Doctor wielding a gun. Um, mm. And he said something to the effect of like, I could have made it, you know, a spacey, wacy laser, or I could have done X, Y, Z thing. But the immediateness and the effectiveness of a gun, um, and also using that to shoot a device to end the episode, feels a lot more satisfying than any of those sci-fi terms you could come up mm. with. Um, yep. Which, 
that I have different feelings about that anyway. But I do think that the f- essential principle of what he's saying is correct. Um, and it's the same here, especially with that cliffhanger of, of the immediacy, the, the where that leaves the audience of a character you love shooting a gun is really effective. Mm-hmm. But to what end? And exactly when it comes to that shootout at the end, I mean, that's just, that's proper cowboys and Indians with no thought or anything. Yes. I, I just said yeah. cowboys and Indians, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's really exactly. I know. I know exactly what you mean though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, it's also interesting that Matt Smith is wielding his sonic screwdriver like a gun. Um, mm-hmm. Where I think that previously he had made it intentionally not done that. Uh, so that it couldn't be interpreted as a weapon of any kind. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's very funny how these episodes do um, engage with those tropes in certain scenes unconsciously of, of like, what. Yeah. I, I think it's too uh, sporadic and unfocused for it to have been conscious. Um, and, mm. and I think this is, so, you know, you mentioned before that I watched a bit of Spyfall and Spyfall is an episode that, you know, even some, however many years later, like qu- quite a bit of time after this one. Right. Mm. Um, and in, and with a doctor that is so specifically and vocally anti-gun in the way that, um, Jody's totally. doctor is, um, and that episode is immediately fetishizing guns and like, you know, black suit CIA or MI6 agents. And, and it's, it's that same thing James that like, Bond it's stuff. like, exactly. It's that core tension with Dr. Who is that like, it's British and smarmy enough to critique America's obsession with these things, but not smart enough to not fall into those traps itself. And it's because these and things do look inherently cool, quote unquote, right? And like it wants to ape more legitimate cool TV language. It's 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 something that goes goes back so far as well because you know in the classic series they always I think this is something that largely Tom Baker um, uh, tried to establish, which is that the Doctor was a non-violent character and so used other means. They never show they never shot people. They never touched a gun. Um, mm. but then you have someone like John Pertwee, who's like into karate and is a James Bond figure. Um, and, <laughs> and would, you know, pick up a gun and use it like ha- would have no issue with that. Or the, they use a non-confrontational form of Aikido. I think, um, the show f- constantly flips back and forth on how the doctor engaged with the guns. And in the 1980s, when it became very, very violent, the doctor is constantly picking up guns and using them to you know to kill his enemies um Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 this yeah it's that constant tension and there isn't an answer to or a fix to it per se but it's this constant tension between wanting to do a non-inter like a non-interventionist um pacifist character and also have cool moments where they pick up a gun and 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 have an active role um, mm-hmm. And it's the active thing in particular that is the the tension because like he, the Doctor needs to be an active figure. They're the main character. They're the hero. Um, but in adventure narratives, that does involve weapons. Um, yeah, yeah. It's look. It's bigger than we can get into. It's it's a small part of this episode overall. Well, um, it's it's a series wide problem. It, it's not this episode alone. Um, no. It's just this is a really great launching pad to talk about these things because this episode is so distinctly American. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Do you remember when the Doctor gave Yaz a gun? 
and it wasn't talked about. Yeah. That was weird. It's like it's like the Chekhov thing, right? Like if you introduce a gun in Act 1 and it's still there in Act 2, yeah, it has to go off if, in Act 3. Whereas yeah. they introduce a gun. If, if Chekhov was an um, anti-gun activist as well. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but it's like you introduce a gun and you do nothing with it. Like that's... Yeah. In in that anyway, story, but they do do it. I here. couldn't help myself. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yes. Okay. So let's look. I guess we've talked big ideological stuff about this episode. I, let's mm. hone in on these characters a little bit. Um. Mm. River. 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 <laughs> river song. Hey, I actually want you to, to to talk a little bit about River because this has obviously been the constant tension in our podcast, which is like. <laughs> how river works <laughs> is and the, is that james can't figure out how river works without giving himself a headache <laughs> <laughs> but i think i also feel like this season i can't really wrap well, my head around it in this episode in particular because spoiler alert there are a few different versions of river running around in this episode <laughs> but we're not aware of that yet this is a river river dense episode yeah um <laughs> so obviously obviously the child in the spacesuit is, she's in the suit and she's Amy's child, Amy and Rory's child, um, and also is there as an adult past all these events. Um, and we, James and I, had a discussion before this episode about how much River remembers of this episode as a child. Mm. And what was the answer that you came back? It's like she remembers some things, but not... Well, yeah, it, it's a bit confusing because, you know, not only is River like heavily exposed to the silence, which um, which we will talk about in a bit, but it, it are obviously very much dealing with memory and hypnotic suggestion and not knowing you know, why you do the things you do or even remembering if you did those things, let's say. Um, so there's all of that going on. There's the fact that like by the end of this episode, um, you know, we see her regenerate. Uh, we don't know what that does to a child's body, like to a de- developing brain. Mm. You know, th- there's, there's a lot of different like, Law, quote unquote, reasons why she wouldn't clearly remember the events of this episode. Um, and getting into the weeds of that, I think, is simultaneously like an interesting discussion and also a bit of a mute point because, and this is something we said before we started recording, but Moffat's, you know, at this stage in Moffat's writing, his best work relies on in-the-moment vibes, not overall logic. Yeah. And so the overall logic of River in this episode, I don't know if it fully tracks. In the moment, though, this is a fucking banger episode for Alex Kingston. Like, real good River stuff happening here. Uh, it really, really is. And she gets a... Like, if we could just talk about individual moments, she gets some fantastic scenes. And the one I actually want to start with um, is her last scene in this episode. Because in the two-parter, I should say, um, because it mm. is just a such a small and effective way of really hitting home the essential problem of River Song, uh, not of River Song, but of River and the Doctor and their relationship. So the episode ends um, with River um, and the Doctor, you know, Doctor dropping her off back in at prison, and she. Um, She's like, you know, are you just going to leave it at that? And he's like, what are you talking about? She says, oh, shut up. And and pulls him in for a kiss. And it's the f- it is the first time they've kissed. And it's so funny to me because at the time I was like, oh, they've kissed millions of times. But no, you just mm. assume that they have because it implies because so heavily. Because they're flirting all the time and yeah. Exactly. Um, 
And then she's like, you know, you're acting like you've never done that. And he said, we haven't. And you see on her face this like, oh, mm. like there's, this is, I, I, I am reaching the end of my time with this character. Um, the essential yeah. tragedy of these two people who like, I think River describes it as they're moving in opposite directions, but it really is more like they are just meeting at different points in their life and never quite at the same, like never um, sequentially for either of them. Um, Yes. And just, you know, you can talk about this, you can talk about the mechanics of the story, how it all works, what it, um, where River is at different points, but just like how that would feel, I think, is perfectly encapsulated by that moment. Uh, yes, I agree. The logic still, I can, I literally cannot make my brain understand it. I've tried so many times, listeners. It's a point of contention for us. But the emotion of it, again, mm. the Moffatism, exceptional. Um, you know, I, I think that that scene at the end there um, is very much in conversation with a scene that happens in the first episode, which yes. I think you and I have a pretty big conversation point to talk about here. Um, now, we rarely do this, but I am just going to full on read a paragraph of quote Please. here from the episode because it, it matters for what we need to talk about. So um, basically, there's a scene where River is lockpicking a door, her and Rory are hanging out. Um, and while she's lockpicking, uh, she's mentions earlier there's a worst day coming for her and Rory asks her, what does she mean by that? And she says, mm. uh, when I first met the doctor a long, long time ago, he knew all about me. Think about that. Impressionable young girl and suddenly this man drops just drops out of the sky. He's clever and mad and wonderful and, and he knows every last thing about her. Imagine what that does to a girl. Trouble is, it's all back to front. My past is his future. We're traveling in opposite directions. Every time we meet, I know him more he knows me less i live for the days i see him but i know that every time i do he'll be one step further away the day's coming when i'll look into that man's eyes my doctor and he won't have the faintest idea who i am and i think it's going to kill me now that's beautiful <laughs> that is a, a stunning little bit of moffat writing a great river moment because obviously alex kingston knows how to sell the fuck out of river's complex confidence and heartbreak all happening sort of at once on that character's face mm. um there are two angles we can approach this from. And I think the first one is probably the more interesting one, which is the um, Moffat's women problem, let's say. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, Take it away, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, yes. So this is something I did want to talk about. Um, and it's, it's a tough one. It's a toughie. It's a real toughie. Because I'm not actually entirely convinced. Of it is it. a problem. <laughs> um, it's a problem necessarily. I think there's actually other episodes um, in this series and in series seven that uh, you know are far worse crimes. <laughs> to, yes. To put a very alarmist <laughs> term onto it, um, have far worse crimes uh, in this regard. Um, one of which is the Doctor's Wife, which is an episode that I I adore. Um, well, Moffat didn't write that one though. Moffat didn't write that one, but he did. He is the showrunner at this point, so and yeah. it, but look, we'll, we'll get to that really soon. <laughs> yeah, we will exactly. Um, so like, River and Amy. Uh, this was happening also in series five as well. You know, are characters who are mysteries. You know, they are. River in particular, Amy to a lesser extent, but, you know, we're still at a 
at a what's the word um being held at a distance from these characters mm-hmm. because of the the grander arc aspects that are happening around them you know there's elements of amy that she's not even aware of because she's pregnant she's mm. not pregnant she's a kid a picture of herself pregnant um it creates this kind of tension of never quite knowing who these people are um and i think one of the things that moffat does is is fill those blanks in with like quips and sort of gung-ho dialogue and um you know entertaining character traits um but he does have a, a habit of um and i'd love for you to jump in at any point james um of sexualizing uh river in particular um, um to oh, such no. an extent and it's it's really hard to talk about because it's also mixed in with um the time travel mechanics of it and that speech that you you talk about has a, a line where a river um you know notes that someone you know when she was very very young a man dropped out of the sky and fell in love with her um oh, mm. and she fell in love with him because he knew everything about her um it goes back to moffat's love of and appreciation of the time traveler's wife which has almost exactly the same thing happen to those characters as well but it's even more muddied because um because the main character meets the his love interest uh when they are a child, when they are a literal child. Um, yeah. And so there are definitely like questions to be, to be posed around the ethics of the moral dimension of that. Um, and just like, but the reason I'm having such a hard time talking about this, uh, is because mm. I'm not actually sure if it's a criticism or not. I think it's there. But I, I'm not as phased by it um, when I think about it in reality. Yes. Do you know what I'm trying to like drive at? I, I, I do. I do. I think that. Um. I mean, okay. Well, first of all, I haven't seen the Time Traveler's Wife. When you were talking about it, though, it did remind me of that other British rom-com movie, Romance with Um About Time, time Travel, About Time, mm. which is a movie that I found really charming until I was like profoundly disturbed by it. Mm. Um. Because I, I, you're right. What we're essentially driving at here is that like if one person holds all of the knowledge in a, in a sexual dynamic, like I would argue that that is a violation of consent on, on some level. Um, and so veering into that here is, is, is definitely dangerous waters for Moffat because at this point in his career, I would argue he's not the most sensitive gendered writer. Um, you know, you and I said before that like, Clara really like the more that we've seen of Doctor Who on this rewatch the more it becomes clear that Clara is such a reflection and answer to a lot of the problems the show has had with women um and mm. you know the stuff that we've got going on here with River is is kind of fascinating because um it yeah it's really hard to talk about like cuz River is I don't think River is sexualized. I think she's a sexual character. I, and I think they are kind of two different things. Like I think that's she's fair. not yeah. ogled, right? Like she is the one 
in control of the sexual dynamic that she has with the doctor. And it's because of the timey-wimey stuff that they're doing with them, right? Where, you know, that speech that she has, it does reference that there was a point where she was young, impressionable, and the doctor's going to show up and, like, you know, just sweep her off her feet. And, you know, the, the line, imagine what that does to a girl. I think he understands or what he's hinting at there without actually interrogating it at all because you you don't have room in in, a, in the show Doctor Who to interrogate what you and I are talking about here right yeah um, but by the same token when we spend time with River it's Alex Kingston who is this like physical force of nature she's older than the doctor in in this uh, incarnation as well um, and she is always the one driving the the romance the intimacy she has all the knowledge she's the one that's dropped out of the sky and knows everything about this you know impressionable uh, occasionally naive character that we'd spend time with um, and in flipping that power dynamic, in us not seeing the problematic sort of like gendered version of it, instead seeing, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's progressive or anything, but like seeing the the gender flipped version, let's say, of something that we would find weird if a dude was the one in that position. Totally. I think it does shift it somewhat, right? Because the traditional power dynamics that we're used to sort of projecting onto these things based on real world experiences don't apply as cleanly anymore. Um, and I think that that is interesting. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable saying good or bad here, right? Because at the end of the day, it's it's Doctor Who. I, I don't think it's particularly trying to do anything like uh, offensive here. I think it stumbles into some stuff, obviously. Um, but just interesting. Just River is is mechanically and politically and socially a very interesting character to talk about. <laughs> she is, and you know, I think that also part of this discussion um, encapsulates like. And what became very interesting when Matt Smith was cast was, like, the the age difference between them and River as a, you know, an older woman. A Mrs. Robinson. A Mrs. Robinson type. Yeah, like, God, like, <laughs> that doesn't help. Um, but, um, you know, River is this, is, like, let's just look at what she is on paper. She's this confident, independent... Um, older character the type of which you don't really get to see a lot of no you don't um it is rare and so it, you i do want to hold on to that character and i love that character i love river a lot um mm-hmm. I, I i just yeah i definitely think that the timey-wimey-ness sometimes doesn't serve her character especially well i much prefer i much prefer the version of this character when she just drops into stories and is there for an adventure and then you know flies away again and because so much of this season yes. is focused on her her arc um witnessing her in, in and out of time and in different bodies as well um mm. all of that stuff uh just kind of bubbles to the forefront um yeah and i also think that there are other episodes where it's even worse um Anyone heard of Let's Kill Hitler, for instance? The, we will we'll get to Let's Kill Hitler. That's That has to be its own conversation. We can't do that possibly today. Oh, God, um, no, I do want to say, wasn't. yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex Kingston was uh, 48 uh, when this episode released. So she would have been, what, 47 at the time of filming, approximately? Like, yeah. you're, you're right. We don't see women of that age range in these roles very often. And, like... 
I, I, I do love River both in concept and execution because of this, right? Because she does get to be a competent in control of both like her like she like she's super as smart as the doctor often outsmarts the doctor right she yeah. plays in that morally gray area that the doctor often refuses to which again makes her more interesting um and she's in charge of her sexuality like there's there's so much going on there that really works for river that like yes the details are going to get both muddled and and kind of weird and we will talk about those as as they come up i guess but um mm. Yeah, just broadly speaking, very happy to see River here. I mean, like you said, we're always happy to see River. Um, timelines, sexism, all of it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's it. And and I think, yeah, once we get to Wedding of River Song, hopefully we'll be able to untangle a bit more of like what's happening with River in this season and what, um, you know, how it all works. Um, yes. But for this episode, it's another great outing for Alex Kingston, who does give it a roll. She gives every scene that she's in uh, just such gravitas. Um, yeah. The, um, that moment where she is, she's going to investigate a basement or tunnels basically. Um, and the dog is like, okay, we'll be careful down there. She's like, oh, don't worry. I'm a screamer. And then she disappears <laughs> out of the frame. And then from down in the Tony here, now there's a spoiler for you. <laughs> you love that moment. <laughs> I think that is one of the fucking funniest jokes I've ever heard in Doctor Who because like the whole like spoilers is so silly and so campy. And then to have it like so obviously turned into a sex joke. I, I love it. Like yeah. and generally like there isn't room to talk about all the lines that I love. Half my notes were just quotes that I wrote down, but like I love this Moffat script. Like this is a plus Moffat writing. It's sharp, it's warm, it's sexy. Ah, oh, it's excellent. It's really, really good. It's really good. Um, Mm. And yeah Yeah Well speaking of uncomfortable silences <laughs> <laughs> That's a great segue actually I, I, I love that um, Yeah thank you and I, 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 I give myself points for that one Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> The silence Fuck after so much talk about them last season Building them up as As, as a big threat Here they are finally the silence Here they are um, And what an entrance honestly um, oh, outstanding. It's so funny that they never became... Well, I guess it's not so funny, but they, they didn't really ever become a, a, a big thing beyond They this. don't reach, like, the angels level, right? Like, they, they don't. for some reason, they don't quite break through. And they were written to kind of try to be that, that for this new mm. generation. Uh, new generation is <laughs> such a silly word, but... Um, that Moffat was definitely like, okay, well, they've done the, you know, don't blink thing. Now, what's another thing I can play with with these ones? And that that one being the sort of fallacy and fallacy, not fallacy, the um, the um, fallibility of memory. And um, so the the core concept of the silence being that you once you're not looking at them, you forget that you ever saw them, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, endlessly fascinating, endlessly interesting. Um, also quite a limiting concept because like as this episode has to kind of grapple with at some point you have to be aware of their existence um otherwise like yes you're never going to be able to defeat them um and i don't actually <coughs> remember how they do start to remember them is it because Amy um, takes a photo of them or something yeah I, I don't think it makes again it's one of those things doesn't really make much sense um and so i just choose not to think about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Fair enough. 
I do think that like, okay, so I think you've helped me sort of stumble into, I think maybe the problem, not the problem. No, no. Okay. The problem from a branding perspective, right? Is that like the angels you kick off with such a small scale story, right? Mm. It's a small house, mm. a small London fucking police station or whatever, a handful of angels, no doctor even really in the story. It, it's very much focused on them. Tiny stakes, right? It's just about making sure this one girl survives. The problem with the silence is that you immediately jump to like Forest of the Dead or whatever that two-parter was called, right? Like yeah. it's the aliens, but you do aliens before alien is, is sort of what it feels like here. And because the silence are already this occupying, you know, America controlling force in the world, um, you don't have anywhere to sort of go beyond this point with them. Um, and so that's why I think they don't get the chance to, to sort of like revel in an escalating series of episodes because they start at 10 out of 10 um, in terms of their threat level, let's say. Um, hmm. And so I do think just like practically, that's probably the problem that we run into here. Uh, and that bums me up because the silence themselves, I, I adore them, right? So I put in my notes that these are like the greys, uh, like the, the concept of the, the gray's alien, like the, the you know, the, the gray alien with the big black eyes kind of thing, but like turned mythical, essentially. Like these are, they've been here since before humanity began and they've been steering us ever since, right? And like, that is such a really creepy and cool concept. I think, I'm pretty sure there's a line in the episode that says like, oh, they're all over the world or whatever. But like, I love the idea that it's just a uniquely America problem, that America has been this occupied place this entire time. And they've been, you know, sort of turning this like kind of wild country in all these different directions. Um, I, I just, I just love them. Like, uh, I think aesthetically, thematically, tonally, they're great. <laughs> You're right. And I do love that one line where they, I don't remember who River's talking to, but she's like, you 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 you've been invaded a long time ago. You're occupied, and yeah. which I do feel like is a little like colonial colonialism kind of thing. I think it is too. I, I I think that it's as close as you can get up to the line of her just being like, "No, you fucking stupid American, you're already lost." You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Well, I think she is saying that. <laughs> well, yeah, but without yeah, exactly. Um, um, I, I do love that they resemble the the alien greys like i think everyone who has any interest in science fiction uh you know can recall that classic image of the mm-hmm. gray that was on um i don't remember the name of the book but it was like very much that x-files kind of um yeah like a very traditional looking alien but exactly. turned into kind of like there's a bit of like the harry potter dementors going on in there as well um the black suits are obviously a a not at all subtle nod to the idea of like a covert government agency guiding the populace. Um, you know, it's, it's all very on front street, but I think it works because again, the execution is so strong, you know, like that scene where Amy has that interaction with the one in the bathroom and it kills that woman is horrifying. Oh, uh, back honey. Back from what? Back from what? <laughs> oh, is that some sort of mask? Oh, Johnny, you always put your masks on in the bathroom. Like, okay, I, I know. I do love that she's, she's like, is that a mask? Is that a Star Trek mask? It's like, yeah. Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. That's it's, the other it's one. It's good. It's, it's very sweet. It's very cute. Um, you yeah. know, the way that the, the, the silence kill people is like, they like, I know, zap electricity out of the air and blow people up. And like, it's filmed in like slow motion and like the, like the lights are flickering and there's this kind of like pulsing energy, like pushing Amy's hair back and stuff. It's just, it's so cinematic and it's so cool. 
And the grays, uh, the, the grays, the the, um, the silence, <laughs> uh, the way that they talk, the way they interact with people, their confidence in being like, we already fucking won. What are you possibly going to do to us? And then, you know, like you said, it just gets shot. Um, is great. It, yeah, truly. And it, there is something to be said there about the fact that, like, they aren't, uh, they aren't completely, um, the, the, I think I said at some point, like they don't have technology of their own. They don't have um, mm. skills of their own. What they do is they suggest things in humanity to build the stuff that they need, um, which leads to one of the dumbest things I hate about this episode, <laughs> which is that the doctor's like, you know, wh- why, why did human humanity go to the moon? Because the science needed a spaceship or the science needed a, um, a space, suit. a space suit. That's right, and it's yes. like, which makes hmm? even less sense when you consider that they need the spacesuit for the river stuff, and River is tied to like one of the largest galaxy roaming organizations that the show's ever seen. <laughs> exactly. Like maybe they could just build a damn suit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but eh, well, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> but they are they are like it depicted as like parasites, um, and so it's with yes. them. It's less about what they can do. Uh, as it is like they are just so numerous and so like all pervasive. Mm. Yes, you can shoot them, but like you're going to have to shoot them and massacre them on a grand scale, like an extermination basically to get rid of them. Yes. And Uh, they sleep like bats. Well, okay. So this is why I love day of the moon more than the first episode, because that whole sequence with Amy in the, and I am tangenting a little bit. Um, but that whole sequence with Amy in the orphanage, the writing on the wall, the silence hanging from the ceiling, the the using that moment where she goes in the room and she sees one and then she sees her hand blinking. Mm. Oh, it's, yeah. That is horrifying. Proper creepy in a way it that is. the show has, doesn't ever really step up to. I think this is probably, there's an argument to be made for that sequence, this that episode to be like one of the scariest in Doctor Who's history. Oh, agreed. Yeah, Doctor Who doesn't often play with um, outright horror, but that is like just mm. straight up filmed. Like, you, like that could be filmed like a like a James Wan kind of like New mm. Age Blumhouse like thing, right? Um, mm. Like you could very much see that working for that. Um, I love side note, but I do love the hand recorders like as a plot device. Um, the idea yeah. that like every time they see one, they have to like press their palm and they record something, and then if the light's blinking, it means they've seen something. Um, it it's just such good creepy alien stuff and not alien in the way the doctor who often does alien where like everything's alien but in specifically alien human invasion story kind of way um it's it's very good i i completely agree um it's it's a great sequence and i think makes that second episode just like that bit more um interesting i want to say i don't know I think um, it's like a standout sequence, but I, 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 on the whole, I do find Day of the Moon much harder to connect with um, than I did with uh, The Impossible Astronaut. I think The Impossible Astronaut just has like a much better uh, sort of A to B to C mystery and, and um, I guess, pacing and momentum to it. Um, I, I find Day of the Moon a little bit stop-start at times, even if there are individual moments in Day of the Moon that I do think are better. Um, you know, uh, I said this right before we jumped on, but like the... 
the very end of Day of the Moon where we see, uh, you know, the child who the we don't child. know is River um, in, in an alleyway and uh, a homeless person finds her. And he's like, are you okay? She's like, no, I'm dying, but it's okay. I can fix that. And she restarts regenerating in, in the fucking back alley of New York. It is an incredible cliffhanger. And for them to just leave that as the, the note they leave it on, such smart and, and confident storytelling. Mm, mm, mm. It, it's, it, it's the purpose of the season is to yeah. be like, <laughs> you don't really know what's going on and we're going to drag this right out to the very end. Um, yes, exactly. Well, at least until the middle of the season. <laughs> yeah, look, yes, we can talk about that later. Um, um, now, the how si- about our main trio? <laughs> well, well, let's talk about them. Let's talk about them. We we before we started recording, James, you you noted that we don't often talk about the Doctor on this podcast. We don't. Um, we don't. We have a really bad habit of being like, oh, well, he, yeah, he's there, whatever. But <laughs> but like everything around him is usually interesting. But like I do, I did want to make sure we took some time today to talk about Matt Smith uh, because obviously some pretty big stuff happens to the Doctor in this episode. I mean, he fucking dies, right? Um, but It's a great, it's a great, oh, sorry, you go. Oh, no, no, you're, you're right though. Because like I can, we'll shelve the Matt Smith stuff for a second, but like it is an incredible season opener, right? To mm. to have him die, to have him die mid-regeneration specifically, like they burn his body, they give him like a Viking funeral. And then to have him just uh, casually emerge from the bathroom carrying a straw, been like, oh, hey everyone, why are you all here? Is so good. And the way River's like, this is cold, even for you, this is cold, because you know, you spend so much time with Amy, like losing her mind with grief, right? And then the way that this establishes some tension between, and look, I don't think that tension really lasts much beyond this episode, but for this episode, the, the way that the vibes are fully off between him and his companions, because they know he's going to die at some point in the future for real, for real. And he it can't know that stuff because he's meddling with his own timeline. Mm. Um, it just makes for like a really good, like he's not the, the focal point of this episode, I would say, but it does center him in a way that I, I think is genuinely refreshing for this character because he's, he's on the back foot, right? He's a little bit naive at times almost. I, I put in my notes, there's, there's a moment where, you know, everyone's kind of looking at him with like deathly seriousness and he's just being his like boyish self. And you get that like little pang where you're like, oh, you don't even know what's coming for you though. And to have that feeling of, of sympathy and, and fear for the doctor again, after the, the doctor has spent so long in this particular run of the, um, the, uh, the, 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 not the reboot, the, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the revival, um, as this kind of like God figure, I think is a really effective first episode reframing of the character as someone who is actually fallible. Yeah. The fallibility of them is, is definitely something we don't see often enough. And it's, you know, you say that, um, there isn't much tension beyond this one episode and there, there isn't, I suppose, but it does go into how their relationship sort of comes to be defined a little bit, um, mm. which is, you know, definitely consent and um, the dissemination of knowledge um, because Amy and Rory and River know that the doctor's going to die and they don't tell him, but there is, there's going to come a point where he does find out and finds out that they've been lying to him. Um, Actually, a- just before you move on, I, j- I do want to note on the point you've just brought up, right? In that everyone in that TARDIS, right, are keeping secrets in a certain direction, right? 
Yep. Like River is hiding things from her parents, being Amy and Rory. The doctor is hiding Amy's like weird influx pregnancy from her. Amy and everyone else is hiding the fact that he's going to die at some point in his future. Like I, that's, that's actually quite interesting, right? It is. Uh, it's a shame it never quite uh, touches that's on. That's it. Like, it's subtext. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's never like we're all keeping secrets from one another and that's bad. It's, it's just, in fact, if that were happening in any relationship I was in, I'd be like, see ya. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's Doctor Who. Um, and you're right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say, which is that the doctor is keeping, you know, his, his knowledge of not only Amy's pregnancy, but like who Amy possibly is. Um, uh, well, a secret. Yeah. At this point It's interesting. In yeah, exactly. Like when does he start, understanding what's happened to Amy, you yeah. know, we don't, yeah. well, we don't, well, we don't really know the answer to that. At least some point between this episode and the rebel flesh two-parter. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then that also obviously extends into series into the next half of the series because the doctor's then aware and knows that of that he's going to die, but he doesn't, his companions don't know that he knows. Um, mm. So how much of his actions then are sort of driven by, um, what infam- like that, that knowledge. Um, and obviously definitely that leads right up into the finale. Um, mm, but the best, truly. the best moment is obviously that one scene where they're all in the TARDIS and he's like, Amy says, you know, you have to trust us and you can't ask why, mm. um, you never, ever see the doctor. And I think that's what's so thrilling. I remember watching this episode the first time in 2011 was like seeing his companions become, for a doctor, for an ultimate mastermind such as this doctor, as written under Moffat, to see them on the back foot, it's not something that ever really happens ever again. Mm, yes, agreed. I'm glad you brought this up because I did put this in my notes as well. But, like, well, one, I'm just glad the episode slows down enough to let them spend some time in the TARDIS trying to figure out what's going to happen next, right? I, I just, I always appreciate when Doctor Who allows time for those conversations. Um, mm. But specifically, the way that. So they basically, they all get into the TARDIS and they're like, well, we're going to go to, you know, 1969, space, blah, blah, blah. And he whirls up the TARDIS and he's like, oh yeah, she's, she's coming in for a rough landing, 1969, so much going on, blah, blah, blah. He's like, but none of that matters because you're all going home now. Mm. And then he just like flops onto the couch with this kind of petulance, right? Mm. Um, and it the way it shifts from... Like you said, he's the mastermind. And so him not being in control anymore obviously has a pretty adverse effect on his mood in that moment. Um, And it shifts from I'm a grumpy child to outright hostility at a certain Mm. point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, River, I think, says to him, like, look, you got to trust us. Um, And he has that line where he he gets up so close to her face. He's like, I love a bad girl, me, but trust you, seriously. And, like, it's the most angry Matt Smith has ever been in the role. And I do feel like this just the jump from uh, series five to series six for him as an actor here. Like he is so much more confident here. He's got this kind of like simmering, sexy, dangerous energy going on now. Um, And I do think it's because like his anger as the doctor, I know that there's a lot of like sort of memes and, and joke culture around like, Oh, he always does his big speeches and whatnot, but his quiet stuff is his best doctor stuff. Like by a, by a country totally. mile for me. Um, and you're right. Just seeing him in this scene and seeing the, the power dynamic get reversed on him and his immediate reaction to that being anger and hostility, I think is very telling of where this character is in his journey. It is. And you're right in saying that his best moments are when he's quiet. Like there's obviously the, um, 
that great. It, it, it's when he's quiet and then he suddenly explodes, right? Um, yeah. Is when you know that you, something is 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 off, or you know something has really pissed this this guy off. Um, which is used to great effect in the Good Man Goes to War. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, Matt Smith. Look, I think that Matt Smith's best work is still yet to come, but he is he is great. He is really, really good playing this impetulant, mm. know-it-all, like kind of version of this character who hasn't yet had a fall. You know, he's yeah, the exactly. Last he season. hasn't majorly fucked up yet. Exactly. The last season, and I can't think of a moment. Oh no! Well, that moment is also coming in this season, I suppose. But he's also, yeah, he's, he's a very successful. He's like he doesn't really have many defeats yet, and it's mm. going to take. You know, it, yeah, it, we we. I'm struggling to sort of say it because I was about to jump to season seven, and I was like, no, rein it in, Callum. <laughs> um, yeah, but yes, he th- this version of the character is definitely it's it's riffing on David Tennant a lot. I think. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. And we talked about this before we started recording, right? Where, like, if you think about Matt Smith's Doctor as as what he is, which is, like, a bridging version of the Doctor between the godly confidence, overconfidence of um, David Tennant's version of the Doctor and the, oh, my God, have I gone too far? What kind of man am I version of the Doctor that Peter Capaldi brings to the role? Like... Mm this version smack bang in the middle here is the one that, you know, and we talked about this in relation to the fact that the silence are like effectively slaughtered on earth. Right. Um, he gives them one chance where he's like, look, you can leave peacefully, but if you don't, you won't like what happens next. Um, and, and like, it's a really violent way of, of dealing with this problem. It's very not the doctor in a way that I think makes sense for the overarching arc of um, the RTD to Moffat doctor run that we go on here. Um, mm. I just, I just, I, I think it's like very, very interesting. I think it plays into a good man goes to war quite well as well. Um, yeah, but, but we'll get to that when we get to that. I can't wait to talk about that episode. Mm. Um but yeah, like I think just to, to put a little capper on maybe our doctor conversation here, like Matt Smith is just continually showing up for work and um, I'm very excited to get more of a, a series six wide understanding of, of this character, I think. Mm, mm, absolutely. And I think that the, um, that moment you're alluding to the, the, <laughs> the, the, the device by which the doctor defeats the enemy in this season um God, I'm not even sure if it fits this doctor. I, I I think it does, but it's it's so violent. Um, yes. That it really... It, I don't really know how I f- totally feel about it. I suppose it's a means to an end. Um, and it's definitely like a classic Moffat thing of like, you know, what's their weakness? We're going to use it against them kind of ending. Yeah, it's um, satisfying in that sense. Um, but yes, it is very specifically violent. It's 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 just violent and it's... Any time that a, a human sees a silence from now on, they're going to kill them. Like, mm. and they'll Ugh. never know. And they'll never know. But it- also, you know, justified violence against the oppressor. Like, you know, they are literally controlling their lives. But <laughs> like, they don't know that they're doing it. This is the thing. Humanity. No, but the silence. Know. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, it's like a a latent. Yeah, like he essentially instills racism. <laughs> yeah. Or like speciesism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, silencism. I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, yes, that, no, you're right. It, it's interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. And obviously it, it doesn't grapple with it enough. And to, <laughs> there's to, no room for it to talk about it. It's not quite on the same level as, well, it's the same level, I suppose, as the doctor using race, you know, or sexism to, or sexism in other episodes to defeat the enemy. Mm. Um, but we'll get to those when we get to them. Um, or corporate factories. Oh, anyway. I can't wait. Um, oh God. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So, um, look, we've been, we've been talking for a little while here we today. Have. I think this has uh, been a much bigger conversation than we anticipated. We do. We'll quickly touch on Amy and Rory because I feel like the Amy and Rory conversation for series six is almost better served at the end of series six because Ooh, it's yeah. a holistic view of it is kind of needed to better understand. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it is fun to see these actors again. Amy and Rory are continuously just like very charming and very sweet together. Um, yeah, they're good. <laughs> they are good. Um, there's an odd little uh, device in this uh, in the Day of the Moon where um, I think it's meant to stir up some kind of tension where uh, the oh the stupid face thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Amy gets kidnapped by the silence and they leave behind her. Um, recording device but it's still uh, obviously it's still hearing her and um picking up her volume and rory you know goes to pick uh can hear her voice through it and amy's on the other end is being like you know oh your stupid face i can't wait to see it when you just <laughs> dropped out of the sky and he's like oh he's talking about the doctor i'm being and like i know again. you think it should be him but it's not it's you it's always been you yeah um so just come and save me yeah oh and then it eventually it eventuates that she was talking about Rory the whole time. Um, it's part of this great uh, gallery of scenes where um, where it just serves to reiterate that they love one another, <laughs> um, I suppose. Um, yes. But I do think that, like, kicking off this season... Because, like, when we talked about this with the finale of... Um uh, series five, but like the whole, Oh, I haven't had my snog in the bushes with the doctor yet. Like that, that kind of flirtatiousness is still very much present at the end of that series. And so I could Mm. see why from a writing perspective, you view that as we need Amy and Rory to be the, like the unit for series six to, to function. And so at the very top of the season, let's like cut it off, you know, like no more mm. Dr. Amy potential. Like she loves him. He loves her. They are the, the married couple. Mm. Um, and I, I, so I get it from that point of view. Um, it's always sweet to me when Amy and Rory have little, like, cause they're both so clumsy about expressing themselves right to each other and so i think anytime they break through that clumsiness and there's that they always have that like moment of clarity with each other where they're looking at each other like oh shit i do really love you and you do really love me and like yes we see it a lot but i do like it every time (laughs) i do i just think it's a series of diminishing returns yeah of course that's that's totally fair yeah um Yes, but you are, you are right, and especially in what the events of this season are going to entail, just pulling them a bit closer and stopping all the Dr. Flirtatious stuff probably actually was the best choice um, for it. Uh, um, and I guess yeah. I'm, I'm, I make that point just with knowledge of all the scenes that are to come, <laughs> and it feels... Yeah, it's... I, I, and I don't want to start a whole tangent here, but I do think it's interesting because my 
knowledge of uh, this run of Doctor Who is is nowhere near as like encyclopedic as yours. Let's say like okay. I I have a vague idea of what's coming, but I don't remember the specifics. And so for me, watching these episodes, it's easier for me to be in the moment with them. And mm. it seems like you're approaching this season with a very much like you know, like, like we said before, like a holistic whole season view here. Um, and that is interesting because it, it provides contrasting, obviously, points of view. And um, yeah, just I'm intrigued to see where that, that goes for us. I just think it's impossible not to, especially in a season, uh, for me at least, I need to uh, think about where things are going to make sense of what's happening now. Do you right. know what I mean? Like these episodes... I, I do. These episodes, obviously they, they have to... And at the time, they had to survive on just themselves because, you know, it was all about hinting towards a, a conclusion. Um, mm-hmm. But once, you, once you've once you reached the end of the series, um, I don't know, you, you kind of want everything to, to lock together neatly. Um, and yeah, I guess that I know it doesn't means I'm trying not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. We'll, 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 yeah. we'll see that as it unfolds. We will. We will. My one final note with, uh, and look, I guess we can use this as a, a bit of a launching pad. If there are any other random things you want to talk about with this episode, um, just on the Amy mm. front, uh, you want to talk about why the orphanage section is so horrifying, right? And it's not just the silence is that we also get our first look at, uh, sort of the, one of the ongoing mysteries of, of this season, uh, oh. instead of a crack in the wall, Amy now sees, like basically like a little sliding hole in reality open up and a woman observing her. And, mm. you know, this woman like sort of like sees her, but doesn't see her at the same time. And so what she say? Like, Oh, it's okay. I think she's just dreaming. And then yeah. the hole closes up again. And that like, you don't hear anything else about it at all. It's just gone. And like, it's so effectively creepy and mystery setting. And I, I love it. I love it. And I do want to note, because I know we're going to have to talk about this eventually, but I was watching, uh, I think it's Horrible Ho- Hor- Holmes. I don't know, the, the, the Doctor Who YouTuber. I was watching his review oh, of this episode. Harbo Holmes. Harbo Holmes, that's it. And um, he was like, and Amy goes into the orphanage and through a hole in the wall sees the scariest thing you could imagine, a transphobe. <laughs> and I fucking <laughs> love that joke. I think that's a, a great joke and the, probably the best way to talk about sort of that actress and what we're going to have to discuss eventually. But um, yeah, just, I love that moment. Oh, I mean, it, it, yes, it is a great moment. That actress is a transphobe, uh, a turf, and, you know, actively uh, uh, um, antagonistic one as well. Um, mm. So we've said it. I think that the character is so slight and only appears a couple of times after, you know, in the show. Well, so. we, we can talk about her when she's relevant, like in sort of the, 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 yeah. the two finales of this season, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Are there any other sort of things you want to shout out about this two-parter? Well, we didn't really talk about Mark Canton. No, we didn't. His his name's not Mark. Canton (laughs) Everett Delaware III. Third. Um, Queer icon. Actual queer icon. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess that's the one thing I do want to touch on with this character. Like, the the show... What I love about Doctor Who at this point is, like, we've got a really good core cast. You don't actually need any supporting characters, I suppose. Um, But Mm. we do get two in this episode in the form of... Canton uh, and President Nixon. Um, I don't know the actor who plays President Nixon, but I do love the recurring gag in the Day of the Moon where, like, the Doctor or someone's in a scrape and they're like, you know, call the President. And then the... And then he walks in and he's like, everyone go away, just let them do their thing. 
I think that's very yes. funny. And uh, it's Stuart Milligan is his name, by the way. Just a shout out because it is. Stuart it's Mil- a very camp performance. <laughs> is it camp? We can't just keep calling well, things camp, can we? I think I can. Just, I think I can call whatever I want camp. I think that's my purview. As, as gay people, we get to decide what's camp. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll let you. I'll let you do that. Um, yeah. It's camp. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah. Oh, uh, that's oh. my Richard Nixon. Oh. oh. Uh, I think the moon's far enough. I don't. You fucking <laughs> Republican yeah. piece of shit. But yes. So th- it's funny we never see Canton ever again. Uh, uh, like considering. The it's a shame, isn't it? Because I do think he's actually a very good, like character and foil to the team. Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, And, you know, the fact that Canton is one of the only people who the Doctor calls to his death would imply that he's a more significant character. Um, You would think so. But but that's a tiny, tiny, tiny dig. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, What's his name? Uh, Mark Shepard delivers a great performance. Um, I, I like his role in everything. He's just he's just fun. He 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 provides a good bit of like levity and uh, again plays into the whole like he's he's American. He's got that like doctor, you know, kind of like yeah. shit going on. So yeah. yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good bit of fun. I love it. Yeah. Uh I don't think I really have anything else to to talk about. Nope. Nope. Uh that's it for me. Um yeah. great. All right then. Uh, um so, Impossible Astronaut, what are you giving it? Uh, Impossibles is probably a, I was going to say eight then. I was like, no, we don't do it like that. Um, <laughs> in under three years in, we start doing number ratings instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Impossible Astronauts, probably like a B plus and Day of the Moon's an A minus for me. Okay. I'm going to go Impossible Astronaut is an A plus for me. I, I think it's as close to perfect as a series opener could be. Uh, and Day of the Moon, I'll say B plus, let's say. It's interesting that we have, like, significant enough differences in our takes on these episodes, and yet we're both really high on them. Well, it's because, like, they're very, very enjoyable. I think that, you know, we, we spent the first, like, what, 45 minutes of our um, recording today talking about the, um, you know, the ideological elements of it and, like, oh, American exceptionalism and guns mm. and, like, yeah, all that stuff's really great. But, like, at the end of the day, they're just two very watchable episodes of Doctor Who. Like, they mm. are simultaneously ideologically interesting and entertaining. And I, I think that that is a real strength of Moffat and, and what he's done here. Mm, I'd agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. And well, I guess on that note, thank you as always for listening. Welcome to another year of, of two hearts. Um, mm. You know, uh, reviews <laughs> would be good. Um, you know, Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a little text-based review, give us five stars, helps the algorithm, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. Um, if you have any thoughts on The Impossible Astronaut, Day of the Moon, or Series 6 as a whole, we would love to hear them. Um, so feel free to reach out on social media at uh, Two Hearts Pod. That's two, the number two. Or you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com and that's two, the word two. Uh, I've been James and you can find me on Twitter at OMGMoreJames. And I have been Callum. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Theatricallum. Well, uh, until next time. Um, now, look, obviously with Callum moving to Sydney, um, our recording oh. schedule is going to be a little messy. This week we're hoping to do two recordings, so we're going to have at least like the next month covered of content. Um, so there'll be, you know, always some two hearts in your old inbox. Um, but if you're looking for something to do in the meantime, go and see uh, the movie Megan.
And um, I've been James. Thank you again. And uh, we'll see you when we see you. And I've been Callum. And we'll see you when we see you. Bye. Bye.